Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Sadie, what are we talking about today? So today we are talking about the classic song by Living Color, The Cult of Personality. I was just listening to that song today. It's a great song. I was not because it has been stuck in my head for like two weeks because you've been telling me we have to do this episode. This is an episode you really want to do. And every time you bring it up, the song is (laughs) stuck in my head for like three days. It's a great song. It has a great riff. By the way, my name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and you are listening to the Living the Leaving Eden podcast. And as you just heard, we are going to talk about personality cults today. This is one I think that I think Gabby, you're going to have to explain this to me a little bit because I think I think the term cult can be a little bit triggering to me. It's not. To, I mean, obviously, I talk about my experience in a cult. All the time. It is what I do. But I hear something that is not a traditional cult referred to as a cult, like a cult of personality. And I, I think it kind of gets me on edge. So I really want you to explain to me, like, what's the difference between a cult and a cult of personality and see if I can understand this better. I've been doing a lot of research about that. And I'm extremely excited to get to talk about this topic because I find it fascinating. Um, but before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. 
So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, there are numerous things that you can do to support us. Plenty of wonderful things that you can do to support us. Number one, hit that like, hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice because it helps us get more followers. It helps the algorithm recommend our show to other people who might like it. Number two, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where you can find an extended version of most of our episodes, including today's episode. There's going to be some extended bonus content on that one as well. To be honest, there's always extended content because the two of us just can't quit talking. I love being on the mic with you. And sadly, not all of that can is is relevant to our our (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of it is completely irrelevant you can so you can join our patreon and you can join our facebook group if you want to hang out and discuss the show with other fans of the podcast there's been a lot of great activity in the group lately a lot of great posts a lot of great emotional stories and and life experiences from people who grew up in similar situations as you. And that's been really great to get to share those experiences and read those experiences from our listeners. It really helps keep us grounded and keep us understanding why we're doing this show. But that group is called Eden Exodus. So if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, you can find all of that wonderful stuff there. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl, all of the best things. (laughs) I love our Facebook group. It is... um... It is a great place to hang out. Anything else we got to talk about before I thank the Faith Promise Mission? Oh, yeah, I have something. Go ahead. What's yours? (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, once again, thank you to Rachel Zilka for designing the cover art that we're using for the remastered versions of our podcast episodes. As I spoke about two weeks ago, every week we're going to come out with a new old episode that's been remixed, remastered. Um, And this week we're coming out with episode three, which is where we introduce everything about Hiles Anderson College, which is a lot of fun to talk about and revisit that topic. So uh, on Thursday, I had a cult, like a cult interested friend over for dinner uh, last last Friday night in real time, a couple weeks ago, by the time you're hearing this. And uh, the first thing she said when she walked in the door was, can I see the cult college rule book? (laughs) (laughs) And that's the episode where we dig into like the, the weird dating rules and that kind of thing from Hiles Anderson College. Yeah, and it's really been great to go back and listen to to all the old episodes again, just because it helps me remember all of the stuff that I've learned along the way and and how little I truly understood at the beginning of this show. And it's fascinating, you know. It just helps keep me grounded and help me understand that my life experiences are not universal. So important lesson to learn. Very important lesson to learn. Everybody's got to learn it at some point. I learned it later than others. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I need to thank our Faith Promise Missions and I gave it all to your patrons. Real quick before you do that, I do want to let our listeners know that my husband's band, which is Red Hoof, is playing a big show at the Big Lugrowski in Portland. It is on December 10th. And if you would like to come hang out with me and listen to some heavy metal music, uh, I will be at that show and would love to see our fans there. It's like classic metal too. It's like, you know, that that like early eighties really like Yeah, you can check metal. Yeah, you yeah. can check them out on Instagram. Uh, their Instagram is at Red Hoof PDX. But yeah, come see the band on December tenth and we'll have a hangout. It'll be fun. Highly recommend them. I've seen them live. They're fantastic. I won't be there because I will be moved to Philadelphia at that point. 
Yes, also come make me feel better because my best friend is moving away. Oh. Well, BFF is a tier, so uh, that, that leaves an opening. Yeah, so, but none uh, of the rest yeah. of them are here. <laughs> I am moving oh, to an exclusively man. online BFF model. Online friends are real friends. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Online friends are real friends. That's true. I'm going to make y'all start paying. I'm going to make all y'all start paying eight ninety nine a month like Elon Musk wants to do for Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seriously very close to deleting my Twitter account. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but I need to thank our Faith Promise Missions and I Gave It All to your patrons. So in the I Gave It All tier, the people who get access to the bonus extremely sus outtakes reel, uh, <laughs> I hope it's worth it to them. Uh, but we have Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. Thank you so much to Kathleen and Melissa. Fantastic people. We really do appreciate your guys' support so much. And it me and, and you, it really makes it so that we can actually do what we want to do with this show and gives us the creative freedom to do it. Um Faith Promise Missions to your patrons. So many of you, your names are Alex Todd, Allison MacArthur, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R. Carissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Jonathan Miller, Kat Hedberg, Kate Herwee, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunchwrap, hashtag the boy who cried sauce. I do love a good Crunchwrap. The Crunchwrap is probably the best thing from Taco Bell, in Ooh, my opinion. Buddy. No, what 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 do you think it is? Uh, Nachos Bel Grande, seven layer burrito. You know, actually, I'm gonna redact. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell people because <laughs> I'm gonna get roasted. What's what's your favorite thing at T Bell? Is it the cinnamon like? The, the cinnamon like donut hole things no. that they have those are, are are is it baja blast no no i really i love the spicy potato tacos okay those are fire though okay thank goodness i thought i i thought i was committing some kind of taco bell faux pas no with the verde sauce those are elite i definitely respect that 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 choice that like it's it's like a game recognized game situation there was a there was a point in my life where i was both vegetarian and working night shift and those saved my life yeah michaela upright madeline cusick marlena stuve mary williams mary martin megan arendt mike smith miranda day rachel bernadowitz Rebecca Hoyt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, The Lady Rabbi, Tiffany and Derby, Walnut, Son of Walnut, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you, Wes the Cowboy. And thank you so much to all of our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. Yeah. Thank you to all of you guys. Sadie, Hit us with the TW, and then we can get into the meat of this episode. Let's do it. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. 
In most episodes, at least a few of these topics are going to come up, but we try to avoid any kind of graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling on that particular day. We do our best also to give you a heads up before we do go into detail on any of those topics. This episode has a lot packed in. We're definitely going to be talking about abusive one-on-one relationships and intimate partner violence, domestic violence, and abusive parasocial relationships. There will be mention of anti-Semitism and violence, but I don't think I don't think we'll need to go into detail on any of those things, and we'll let you know if we do. Cool, cool, cool. That was a great TW. I think that just about covers it. So um, let's get into this topic. I want you to tell me all about this. Okay, so um, in the past on this show, we have remarked about how high pressure and high control groups are extremely similar to abusive relationships. Um, you know, the tactics are the same, the tactics uh, uh, and the cycle of abuse is often the same. According to a uh, cult expert, uh, Dr. Stephen Hassan, who's the guy who came up with the bite model that we talked about in our first episode, he says that abusive relationships are a form of personality cult. So a cult can be like a one-on-one cult like or, or like a micro cult between two people. So it can be like a one-on-one interpersonal relationship. And I think, yeah. And so in the first episode of the podcast, one of the things that I think we talked about was that one of the biggest misconceptions about cults is how they're categorized. Some people, if you ask them, what's the difference between a religion and a cult, they will say that a religion is just a cult plus a thousand years. Or some people will say that a religion is just a cult plus a million members. But according to Dr. Hassan, this is not true. An abusive relationship, so like a one-on-one relationship, like a, a personality cult that maybe it exists within your local social scene. So there's a person in your local social scene that everybody is just kind of obsessed with and they they take their word as gospel. Or like a, a full-on cult like the Branch Davidians or like the Rajneeshis are at their core functionally identical. So today we're going to talk about specifically personality cults and how they function. I was really having trouble getting my head around this concept, but I when you said a one-on-one cult, I remembered watching Bad Vegan on Netflix. Have you seen that, Gavi? No, I haven't. I've heard it's good. Oh my god. Um okay. So Bad Vegan is the story of a man who coerced his way into the life of a successful vegan restaurant owner in New York. He became her boyfriend and then Slowly over time, he began to take more and more control over her life, uh, her finances, her beliefs, and her sense of reality. Eventually, he had control over her in every way that you would expect even a very powerful cult leader to have control. He even implemented thought control and emotion control. What I noticed in that documentary is that this was slightly different than other controlling abusive relationships that I have seen in real life and read about. Because in an abusive relationship that isn't this one-on-one cult or cult of personality, it seems like the person who is being abused may or may not know that they are being abused. They may know it on some level, but they're not willing or able to have the knowledge to use the term abuse. Um, Or maybe they're just not ready to use that term. But the person who's being abused does wish that their partner wouldn't behave this way. 
So maybe they justify this behavior as normal, or maybe they justify it as, oh, they're just exhibiting bad behavior, but they wish that the partner would be different in Bad Vegan. And what I think we're going to be talking about with the cult of personality, this man, Anthony, had the restaurant owner, Sarma, so controlled, even using thought control and emotion control, that she believed his truly wild stories that he was telling her. So he was telling her that he was an enlightened space being and was come to Earth to destroy. I'm serious. (laughs) And was like come to Earth to destroy unenlightened demonic spirits. And he was going to make her an enlightened being and initiate her into this group of space beings. And he needed millions of dollars of her money to continue fighting this Mm -hmm. angelic war and getting rid of the unenlightened demonic people. That sounds really familiar. That sounds like satanic panic, but but also I need, (laughs) I specifically need one hundred thousand dollars to fight this demon war. I need one hundred thousand dollars. I do not have time for this. I do not have time for you. (laughs) This episode might need to be titled "Things We Saw on Netflix." Um, I mean, but it's so. Enemies are after me. I need $100,000. Enemies are after me. Sends him money. Oh my God. I thought you were doing Anna Delvey and now you're doing the other scammer. Yeah, yeah. Tinder swindler. Yeah. Uh, so I can't do accents. That's, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, so, so in Bad Vegan, um, he was telling her, like, nothing in this world is real and everything you see is an illusion. But apparently her very real money <laughs> was necessary in this world where everything <laughs> is an illusion. <laughs> uh, I feel bad for laughing at her, but also I don't because that is a ridiculous thing to say. So I'm thinking, anyway, the distinction is that she really believed him and he absolutely had her under thought control and emotion control. So the distinction maybe is... The on on one hand, in an abusive relationship, you have like, yeah, my partner does bad things, but they're not that bad, and I just wish that they'd stop so we so everything would be great. And then on the other side, you've got someone who has bought in and allowed another person to occupy and control their thoughts uh, and been manipulated into allowing another person to occupy and control their thoughts. To the point that they think whatever that other person says is true and whatever they decide is correct. Traditional cults and personality cults are functionally very similar, but I think that one of the big differences is that personality cults are often much less official. Like there isn't going to be an initiation like you would have if you say you joined the IFB or say you joined Scientology or say you joined an MLM. Because of this, I think they're often much more common than people think that they are and often they'll fly under the radar and they like sometimes they can be less toxic and they will affect your life to less of a degree than joining an actual cult would. However, I think they can be less toxic as well because a lot of the time it will rather than being like the main aspect of somebody's personality, it'll become like a secondary or tertiary aspect of somebody's personality rather than the primary one. So for instance, Sadie, here's an example. So say you were still IFB and we were friends and you were, you, you would constantly be trying to get me saved, right? Yeah. It would be objective number one. Like we can't progress any further in our friendship until we clear this first thing. Yeah. 
say for instance i were like an elon musk fanboy i might talk about elon musk and tesla and spacex a lot but i wouldn't be out here trying to get you to buy a car or to buy tesla stock probably i mean i might bring that up but you might be trying to talk me into it but it wouldn't be a condition of friendship no like i can't be friends with you until you own 4000 tesla stocks <laughs> Say you're not interested in electric cars and you're not interested in technology or space or whatever the f*** he's doing. We Like you and I, we could still talk about football or we could talk about movies or we could talk about music or whatever else is going on. But I still might believe whatever bullshit he's spinning about how he's going to build a colony on Mars by like 2030 or whatever. And and like if you were introducing me to your friends, you wouldn't be like you would be like, oh, this is Gavi. He's my friend. I know him from, we, we used to work together. You wouldn't be like, this is Gavi. He's my friend. He's obsessed with Elon Musk. Right. It would have to get to a certain level before that's the primary aspect of your personality. Yeah. Okay. But what makes this dangerous then? Like if you were obsessed with Elon Musk and you believed that he was going to take you to Mars by 2030, I could see that eventually coming between us and fracturing our friendship. I could see potentially you get so caught up in that, that there's, we don't have so much in common anymore and it leads to a fractured friendship. But I don't see a belief that Elon Musk is going to whisk you away to Mars being a danger to your life or your freedom or your ability to do whatever you want with your life while you're waiting on Elon Musk to take you to Mars. Okay, um, that's a fair point. So what if I were obsessed with Elon Musk and I believed that he could do no wrong? And so then I started parroting his beliefs about free speech and social media. So say I started just saying a lot of things in that sort of ideological line and say then maybe I started defending people who were racist or hateful towards LGBTQ people on the internet and, and started like lambasting people who were going after them as cancel culture. Would me doing that affect our friendship? Yeah, that would absolutely affect our friendship. I just, I, I'm struggling to make the connection with the word cult specifically. I think okay. my hang up is like in this hypothetical situation where you follow Elon Musk and get the idea that anybody should be able to say actively dangerous things on the internet with no consequences. I don't see that as cult control. Like I don't see where the control is coming from. Like Elon Musk is not controlling your access to information and demanding that you only read articles that support this, what he calls free speech. Even if you're limiting your own access to information based on his ideas, there's no external control on you. Elon Musk is not telling you how to feel about things or how to think about things. He, like, he's not practicing emotion control or thought control on you. Even if you're kind of practicing thought control and emotion control on yourself to be in line with what you believe his views are. I think that's where my hangup is coming from when we're using the word cult, because I feel like that has to be associated with control coming from somewhere. Well, I think that's also one of the big differences between like uh, like a, a traditional cult like you were raised in and a personality cult. One of the big things that you've always talked about um, is how you start practicing the brainwashing on yourself. And that's one of the big parts about being in a cult. So if you start doing the thing where you're like only reading articles that align with this worldview because you don't want and like you start 
practicing the information control, you start practicing the thought control on yourself. So like, while I'm not going to be taking my family to live in a compound in Texas where we can work on an Elon Musk battery farm or something, I would now be convinced, uh, convinced that the woke mob is obsessed with canceling people and that that is the greatest threat of our time. And now I look at the entire world through that lens. And if I see somebody on social media who has pronouns in their bio, I flip out. And if I see um, like a person of color actor in a role that was a white person before, I flip out. And when it comes to like time to decide who's running for state or local or federal government, you know, that's where my head's going to be at. And this is where I've arrived now in the year 2022 when 10 years ago I was browsing Reddit and I saw an electric car and I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. I wonder where that came from. So you can do accents because that was an excellent Ben Shapiro there for a minute. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but <woke> also, <laughs> yeah, I, I see how your thoughts and emotions have been and your information and behavior have been influenced by following the person in this example. I'm still I'm still interested to find out more about where the control comes in because in this hypothetical Elon Musk is not the person instituting or administering the control. So is there someone else who is administering that control to you? I don't think so. I I, I really think that it's like a thing that you do to yourself. Okay. Cuz a lot of times you're not going to have a direct relate like personal relationship with the person that you're you're personality cult is around but i can but i can see your point if there is still all of the elements of cult control even if there isn't a specific person or group of people doing it i can potentially see an argument for this still being called a cult okay and i definitely see the elements of self-brainwashing which is a huge check mark in the cult column so I'm interested to hear more. So like, and this is, this is like one example. That's just one example. Um, and this is kind of an extreme example. And like, not everyone who, you know, like if you're a fan of Elon Musk, I personally find that somewhat questionable at this point in time. Um, but chances are you're probably just some tech dude and you're not out here shilling for Putin or something. Okay. So here's, here's another example. And maybe there, maybe this will there's a little bit more evidence behind this and maybe you'll find this one a little bit more closer to home. Okay. Uh, and this might, okay, this might get me in some trouble for saying this because this is a person who is beloved and revered by many and whose death a few years ago was a source of pain for a lot of people, especially because this man's daughter died as well. Um, in the same incident. Um, I am talking about, of course, uh, the basketball player, Kobe Bryant. And so I, I hope that you'll follow along with me. And and maybe some of our listeners aren't huge sports fans, so they might not get it. So within like Los Angeles Lakers fans, within basketball fans, within athletes, uh, sports fans in general, I would definitely say, I, I think it would be accurate to say that there was a bit of a cult, pers- uh, a cult of personality around Kobe. He had a strong reputation as being, one, an incredibly skilled player, no disputing that. He was a fierce competitor. People looked up to him as an inspirational figure because of his drive and because of his mindset, which was known colloquially as Mamba mentality. The other side of this is that Kobe Bryant had a credible rape allegation against him in 2003. There was witness and physical evidence of Kobe's guilt. But because 
the victim's name was leaked. She was then basically subject to a campaign of public humiliation as well as intimidation by both Kobe's legal team and everybody who was a Lakers fan. And so she refused to testify. Kobe went on a sort of like public apology tour. He changed his jersey number from number eight to number 24. And everybody just kind of said, oh, well, this is his redemption arc or what have you. And Dave Chappelle did a whole stand-up comedy bit about why his accuser wasn't credible. And then the whole thing basically got smoothed over. And now if you bring it up, uh, like a lot of Laker fans kind of react as if you're spitting on their mother's grave. So the reason why I bring this up is say you are a huge fan of Kobe Bryant. Say you grew up watching him play basketball and you idolized him and you bought into the whole Mamba mentality mythos. And that's uh, like a mentality, like uh, an idea that really helped you achieve your goals, especially if you're a young person, you like playing basketball and he's the guy that got you into playing basketball. You're going to be bending over backwards to give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this sexual violence allegation. So say you're bending over backwards to give him the benefit of the doubt. How would that affect the way that you react to other allegations of sexual violence? Say somebody in your life comes forward with an allegation under similar circumstances. Maybe you would think, well, this person can't be telling the truth because if they're telling the truth, that means that that woman was telling the truth about Kobe. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why I think it's important for us to talk about personality cults because I think they're more common than regular cults. And while they're more mild, they definitely do have a strong effect on our lives. Yeah, I do feel like this is I feel like this is really important to talk about. And I feel like I'm going to learn a lot as we keep working through this. Yeah, I know. I think it's because you're raised in an actual cult and I bring up a personality cult and you're just like, oh, that's weak sauce. You know? Well, yeah. And it and it. um. I don't know if trigger is the right word, but it bugs me. Sure. Because I'm like, I, for me, it's like, oh, I was raised in an actual cult. And you're saying that somebody who stands somebody too hard on Twitter is in a cult. Like, but I, but I don't like to, when I have that kind of gut reaction to something, I really like to not listen to it. Just as a practice in my life, if I have an extremely strong visceral reaction to something, I'm always going to stop and look for more evidence and question it. Because I feel like that's a part of getting out of a cult and deprogramming my brain. I really appreciate that about you. And that's like one of the reasons why I think you're such a smart person and critical thinker. But that also takes us on to the next section that I want to talk about, which is what kind of person is is usually going to have a personality cult and why? Okay, let's do it. So I, I've broken this down into several categories. So before, I, I guess I brought up Elon Musk. I definitely think that there's a, a personality cult around him, but I, I like often I think that certain business people will have a personality cult around them. So it could be the personality cult around them is people who are in admiration of their status. It could be sort of sycophants. It could be somebody who has a desire to replicate their success. Oftentimes, these will kind of fly under the radar because you wouldn't know about them unless you were in that specific industry or unless you worked for their company or or like you knew them or unless you were involved in the company culture that surrounded them. 
I've definitely seen that in MLM stories and documentaries, multi-level marketing documentaries. So somebody in the upline who was lucky enough to join the company when it first started and there was money to be made still and it wasn't oversaturated, they will make it out to all of the people in their downline that you have to follow or almost copy their entire system for living life and that's the only way to succeed. So I've seen people publish detailed daily schedules. If they have a particular protein drink that they drink in the morning or they work out for an hour every morning or in the more religiously affiliated MLMs, they'll say they pray for an hour every day or they will post something like, if you wake up after 4 a.m., you will never be successful in this world. And they will they will make this case that if you follow their rules for success, you'll get to the top. And of course, you won't unless you're one of the few people that's that's lucky enough to get into the system when it's first starting up, because in the vast, vast majority of multi-level marketing companies, the only way to make money is to recruit and have a lot of people on your downline. The the thing is, though, I tend to see multi-level marketing companies that follow this pattern that I just described just as plain cults. Not that every single one of them is, but the ones that follow this pattern of like, you have to behave this way and only listen to information that is complimentary to our company. Don't read any negativity. Don't read negative information. Train yourself to think and feel emotions like a leader and train yourself to think like a hashtag boss babe and don't listen to your own thoughts or your own emotions. Like that pattern, like that's a cult. If a like, and there are many non-religious cults. If you are in a multi-level marketing company that follows that pattern of control your behavior, control your information, control your thoughts, and control your emotions, that's just a plain cult. And if you don't follow these things, they tell you bad things will happen and you won't belong in this group anymore. That's not different from a regular cult. I know I'm really pushing, like, really pushing back on you in this episode so far. Um, but no, I, I'm really trying to find the boundaries of this. Okay. That's why we're having this conversation. I mean, think of it also, I guess, would you consider it to be just the same as a regular cult if, say, you were an engineer for one of these tech companies that has a personality cult type thing around the, the founder slash CEO slash main person in the company? Okay. So like Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos. Yeah, or say you were working for Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos or and you were like an engineer working for the company and she was like, I need you to work 90 hours a week for the next four months. Okay, this might be the one that gets me to see it because I would not in any by any means call Theranos a cult, but neither was it non-toxic and non-controlling. Okay, so for anyone who hasn't seen the Hulu series, Elizabeth Holmes was a college dropout who was terribly afraid of needles and she thought she had invented a way to get to do blood work without a traditional blood draw so she uh, thought she could use the amount a little tiny drop from a finger stick like when a doctor checks your blood iron with just a tiny little finger poke or how a diabetic person might use a glucometer to test their blood sugar Uh, elizabeth holmes built a huge startup company on this product that she said that she'd invented where she could do a full panel of blood work with just a finger poke. She made huge business deals with Walgreens. She had all of these multi-million dollar investors. But it turns out that the product that she said she had invented 
didn't quite work yet. She had a product that seemed like on paper it would probably work, but she hadn't been able to actually create a physical version that worked ever. So she hired all of these scientists, including her old professor from college, to, like Avi was saying, work like 90-hour weeks and more and just pour their lives into this thing to see if they could actually make her invention work. And they kept getting so, so close to making it work, but they never had a product that consistently did what she said it did with any kind of reliability. But because of her personality and her ability to attract and control other people, all of her staff believed in her and believed in the company, even though they knew the product literally did not work and might never work. And the investors who were giving her millions of dollars had never seen the product that she claimed that she invented and worked, and they had never seen it. But because of her personality, they believed her when she said it exists and it works. So the people that worked for her company kept on working to try to make this thing that might not even be possible to make. The people advertising it kept on advertising this thing that they knew didn't exist yet. And the people running the finances kept on doing their jobs and writing paychecks, even though they knew the company was on beyond shaky financial ground. And all of that happened because of the cult of personality around Elizabeth Holmes. Okay, this is starting to make more sense to me. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think this is starting to work for me. Yeah. And I mean, there's a certain point where, you know, of course, the people know around her know it's nonsense, like you said, and they're just in too deep to turn around and they have to basically just keep feeding the beast and feeding the aura or the whole thing comes crashing down. They could be implicated in something dangerous. And of course, this is also an extreme example. But I think it's a good example. Um, right. And, and that, it's yeah. it's her draw, her X factor as a person that she got enough people to believe in her. And then other people who didn't know her as well might believe in her because, well, look at all those people who believe in her. Surely they can't be wrong. Right. And very smart people who believe in her. Right. Okay. I have to, I feel like I have to, this concept is not wanting to go into my brain. So I'm just going to have to relate it to stories and people to make it make sense. But I can see how she was not a cult leader. It wasn't a cult, but there are elements of cult-like control that are happening to people. Some of them are coming from her and some of them are just kind of occurring. It's more, it's like half cult, half mass hysteria. Yeah. um, Which is one of my favorite human phenomenons. Phenomena. So just thinking through like the elements of cult control, behavior control, she had people continue to work and behave as if things were going well when they weren't going well. Information control, she would have people keep information from others, which is also an us versus them mentality, which is an element of cult control. She would tell people don't discuss certain topics or don't read this or that negative article about the company. And we don't know how deep the thought control and emotion control might have gone, but I can see where there's an argument that people might have been subjecting themselves to a certain amount of self-brainwashing just to like act like everything is fine and things are going well when in reality it's a disaster. Also, a side note, I was reading more about this uh, prepping for this episode, and it seems like the vast majority of people who have a cult of personality are cis men. So it's great to get some representation of this happening with somebody who <laughs> is a woman. Um, uh, I think. <laughs> I think. It, I think. <laughs> well, I, I do think that, that um, 
men have an easier time building a personality cult than than other people because just misogyny which yeah because they're just given a leg up in the world that we live in so i want to move on uh, to talk about another category of people who often there's going to be a personality cult around them and that is artists you know musicians artists uh, actors people of that sort of nature and i think this is important to uh, discuss because one aspect of the bite model is emotion control and at its core art exists as an expression of the human condition and it's you know a highly emotional form of media so if somebody is able to express that in an effective way they're people are are more likely to identify with them and want to follow them say for instance an artist helps you uh, or, or like like you're a fan of a musician and their music helped you get through a difficult time in your life very common thing a lot of people have have uh, sitting have that here experience. wearing my ghost shirt at the moment <laughs> yep you may feel a sort of longing to venerate uh, uh tobias forge <laughs> in an unhealthy way because the music that he created made you feel seen okay so i am in online fan spaces for ghost one thing that ghost does is their sound has changed a lot through the years and they typically have not a completely new sound but a different sound with each record that they produce so some people will really like certain records over over others, kind of like Taylor Swift. Like her her albums, each album has a cohesive sound, but 1989 and Evermore sound like different types of music to an Perfect extent. example. So Ghost is kind of like that. And in some of these online spaces that I'm in, it's perfectly acceptable to say, oh, I don't like this new album. I don't like Impera. I just think it's too 80s, or I just think it's not heavy enough, or I just think the lyrics aren't dark enough. And then in other online spaces that I'm in, it's almost a taboo to say that you don't like any particular album or don't like any particular song. Or in other spaces that I'm in, it's really only socially acceptable to say that you like the first three Ghost Records. There you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so I that makes sense as far as an artist, because that's something I've seen. And if you go and you say that, then somebody will will say some mean or abusive comment to you, and and uh, and like check you right. or something. Yeah, and enforce the social norms of that group. So I think that's that's one example. But I, I think for often, like how we talked about with Kobe Bryant earlier, with the um with the abuse allegations against him, plenty of musicians, plenty of artists have similar allegations against them. And it's that same sort of thing where say somebody's music uh, or or somebody's art helped you through a difficult time in your life. You're going to have a difficult time believing that that person is capable of monstrous behavior because they did so much good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, so I can see that as having some elements of cult control. Yeah, um, and we're going to go into this uh, in much greater detail next week when we talk about a specific artist uh, that I'm so has. Ex- I'm so excited. It's been in the news lately. Uh, you probably know who it is already, <laughs> but um, I want to move on to talk about. Uh, I guess the next category of people who are going to have a personality cult around them, and that is politicians. I think that's an obvious one, right? Yeah, I read up on this uh, a little bit 
And two non-Trump figures that I kept seeing pop up when I was reading up on what a cult of personality for a politician looks like, two American non-Trump figures that popped up a lot were JFK and Abraham Lincoln. That's interesting. What about those two men qualified as cult of personality? It was about the way that they were treated both at their own time and now many years after their death as kind of a semi-divine, more-than-human figure. Like We don't talk about them like real people, basically. We talk about them like they were special or uniquely gifted and somehow more than regular people. You know, I think that's a fascinating observation, especially because great leaders, um, uh, uh, charismatic leaders are are treated in a mythic fashion um, as uh, just as part of human cultural mythos. I think there there's there's a, a tendency to venerate people who are who are great leaders to like a superhuman status. But I, I definitely think you have a point about the mythos around the, the Kennedy assassination. I'm not a history buff. I, I haven't studied Lincoln or Kennedy like you have. As far as modern day politicians go- I haven't go, studied them either. I just ate at a dinner table with my dad for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> history is an interesting topic, man. It, it really is. No, as far as modern day politicians go, I definitely think that there are a few obvious ones that have a personality cult around them. Yeah, I think I think there definitely are- I think in modern times, if we are talking about a politician having a personality cult, it seems like it's often media that elevates them to that status. So this can happen. Some that I read about were um, government leaders in a one-party state, for example, Chairman Mao. The government and state-controlled media elevated him at his request to a kind of political demigod status. The Chinese people were required to pledge loyalty to him. There were massive portraits of him hung, dances performed in his honor, books of his quotations printed, and he gained this, people bought into it, and he gained this following as the one true leader, the one greatest leader. So in in one-party states and in countries where the state controls the media, there are political leaders who have taken this route, but that's not quite what we have with the person I think you're probably dying to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do think that's an interesting point about the media, but I don't think that that's a be all and end all of it. Obviously you and I know that former president Donald Trump has a personality cult around him. Anytime that that would get that, that he would like tweet or, or say something controversial, it would get blown up by cable news or back when he had Twitter. Yeah. Hey, yo. <laughs> Yeah, I hope uh, that by this time we can still celebrate that in the future. Yeah, when hopefully when this episode airs, he won't be back on by then. Yeah, yeah. That's Mm. what would make me delete my Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you're listening, Elon. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If Elon Musk is listening, he can be, and I gave it all to your patron. (laughs) Redistribute that wealth. Yeah. So yeah, doesn't have enough money. You know how much money he's lost lately. He can't afford our Patreon. He's not cool enough for our Patreon. Our patron, our patrons are way cooler. Yeah, I would much rather hang out with any one of our patrons than hang out with Elon Musk. Just uh, uh, he, he seems like a total I completely toad. agree. So yeah, being elevated to cult of personality status by state-controlled media it is one way that a political leader can become can turn out to have a cult of personality. It's not the only way. Yeah, and also like take somebody like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. 
she often tweets things that that some people find controversial. Some people really like her. Uh, some people find her controversial. Some people don't like her. Often these things get blown up by cable news or they get blown up by, uh, I guess, whoever. They, they blow up on Twitter. They blow up on, on Instagram. And I would say that it, it, she's definitely a, a younger and famous and popular politician. Sure. Yeah. And she definitely has some celebrity status now. Do I think that it would be fair to say that she has a personality cult around her? I, personally, no, I don't think so. There's no uh, a dating app for there, – there's no like dating website for people who are fans of AOC. Okay. Yeah, and also like, like where I stand on her, uh, I like a good bit, a good deal of the things that she has to say. And then there are things that she says that I'm like, nope, no, no, you're, you're not right about that. But I don't feel I don't feel that she's polarizing. Like I feel comfortable saying that to people. I don't feel like I can't say that even to like my most leftist friends. I don't feel like I don't feel like there's a social taboo against saying like, oh yeah, I like some of the things she has to say. I don't like some of the things she has to say. Yeah, I think that's yeah. And I don't I, like there aren't people that are so ra- or there aren't a large group of people who are so rabid about following everything that she says that you just can't disagree with her or you have to love her or have to hate her. Yeah. And maybe that's some sexism, you know, maybe, maybe that's like, she's a woman. So, uh, so people aren't going to follow her as rapidly maybe in the political sphere. I, I don't know. There's, there might be something to that. You know, if she were, if she were older, I might say you're wrong, but with being as young as she is and appearing young, you might be right. I I'm not saying that for sure. I just think that's, that's, uh, that might be uh, uh, an aspect of it. Um, I do think that there is a, a left-wing politician in the United States that definitely has a bit of a personality cult around that uh, around him. Would you like to take a guess at who I think it is? Oh, Bernie Sanders? Yeah, that's okay. my take. <laughs> okay, so question. Yeah. Is having a cult of personality, is that something that a person can give themselves or like do it on purpose? Or is that just a cult? Second question, is having a cult of personality something that a person can prevent from happening? Like if somebody doesn't want a cult of personality, can they have one anyway? Or is there something somebody can do to not have one? So I don't believe that everybody who has one is somebody who set out to get one from the start. In politics, at least, I think that Sometimes if you're the right person with the right message at the right time, then and and you've got the right backing, then it's going to catch on. I think that Bernie Sanders is a good example of that, because uh, when when he first really, you know, he had been in the Senate for a long time, but I, I, I didn't really remember hearing about him until the whole Occupy Wall Street thing happened. Um, and maybe that's just my perspective. Maybe people who are older than me and who are paying attention before me were, were hearing about him all the time before that. But I didn't really start hearing about him until that. And I think like if you're especially if you're a populist politician, it's far more advantageous to have a personality cult. If you're a, po- a politician whose appeal is more, this is my career experience prior to politics, this is my legislative record. Look at XYZ thing that I've done to improve your lives and livelihoods. Please vote on please vote for me because of that. You're not really going to need to have a personality cult so much. 
So Earl Blumenhauer does not need a personality cult. No, like no, he's he's not really about that life. He's just gonna say I was um like he he he's just gonna say I voted for this thing, I support this policy and I So like if you're it, so some politicians don't really need a cult of personality, so it wouldn't matter if they wanted to cultivate one or didn't want to cultivate one. Right. It's kind of irrelevant. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 not a re- like if you're out here in Portland in like this safe district, you're not going to need to be somebody who is is really just out there and and uh, and, and has that around you. But if you're somebody who is saying the bad guys have been getting one over on you and the leaders uh, who are there now don't have your best interest at heart and what we need to do is band together around somebody who's a better leader who happens to be me so that we can overthrow the corrupt interest. That's like if you're that kind of politician, you're going to want to have a cult of personality because that's the only way that that's going to work. Otherwise, you're just going to sound like a total like loon. Okay, but by... By being outrageous and having very strong on-brand opinions, this person could be purposely hoping that they are getting this kind of cult of personality. Or they could just be living their life and it happens. Yeah. So it can go either way. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I think think of it like almost as if like not every sports team has the same level of rabid fandom. You know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. Like uh, I, and I think some people are just so charismatic that it's inevitable, and people naturally follow them. But some people go out of their way to cultivate it, and I think that if you have that sort of care of charisma, and you sort of start to maybe read your own press a bit and believe your own hype a bit, and you intentionally lean into it, or maybe you just jump in whole hog and go out of your way to build that up, then that's pretty much always a red flag. Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah, and and so I think the the final category of person that I want to talk about uh, that has a uh, uh, that often has a personality cult around them is the commentator slash intellectual influencer type person. And often there's a lot of overlap between these types of people and MLM type people. But this could be Anybody who is, say, a, a professor at a university to somebody who is a popular political philosopher or just some person with a podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and I'm, I, I was trying to think of a good example, and um, I have a deep dive in the manosphere that we're in, into the manosphere that we're going to come out with next year. And one name that kept popping up, and, and somebody who I think that there very much is a personality cult around that falls into this category is jordan peterson have you heard of him Ugh. yeah i i know i just <laughs> the sneer that crossed my face <laughs> i try to hear as little about him as possible and i still hear entirely too much about him yeah and it sort of starts it's like one of these things where it can start out where they'll get you into like a self-help type content they'll come out with self-help type content say you need to think about things with this mindset and maybe that mindset helps you improve your life um and maybe exercising that kind of thought control helps you improve your life for instance jordan peterson's big thing is that you need to clean your room and wake up early if you clean your room and you wake up early you know maybe you get more done in the day and maybe you're happier your life will probably get better 
Yeah, maybe, yeah. or maybe you're not a hundred percent chance if that's going to happen, but it might get better. Um, it, it, like not, neither of those things are bad things, but then you start getting into the whole political philosophy of what this guy's about. And that can end up being some pretty damaging stuff, some pretty reactionary stuff. And that might damage some of the relationships in your life. And it might cause you to want to self brainwash and maybe isolate a bit from people who are going to give you conflicting opinions, or it's going to kind of teach you some thought stopping cliches as far as like political philosophies go, or as far as like, um, you know, or, or, or thoughts about how society should be. And mm-hmm. maybe you're, yeah. And maybe you're going to think about some, maybe some falsehoods or some straw men. And you're going to think about the way that the people who disagree with you think this thing, and that's obviously wrong. And logically that doesn't make sense. And that could negatively affect the way that you go through your life. And it could negatively affect your relationships with people. So you know how waste uh, how pearls get made? Uh yeah, it's sand, right? It yeah. just gets So a grain of sand uh or if it's an artificial pearl, a artificially placed irritant uh gets into an oyster and the oyster puts a protective shell around the thing that is an irritant. Builds and builds that protective shell and eventually that's a pearl. And I kind of feel like Maybe a cult of personality is like that. Like these people that we've been talking about aren't cult leaders in anything like the traditional sense, but they're that they're that grain of sand. And then the people who follow their cult of personality build the pearl around that grain of sand. I think that's an excellent observation. and That's an excellent way to think about it. Do you want to maybe uh, take up the offering and then we can come back and talk about how a person might cultivate a cult of personality? Let's take up the offering and come back to talk about cultivating cults. All right, let's do it. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
We are back from our break. Uh, We're talking about personality cults. So before the break, you were talking about whether like people who maybe build a cult of personality on purpose and then people who maybe it just happens to. I would really like to hear more about that, like how these things form and how somebody gets one. In order to get a cult of personality, there has to be like an X factor. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there has to be something about you that people are drawn to. That like there has to be a quality that people gravitate towards. Maybe you are a talented musician. Maybe you are a great speaker. Maybe you've got a great sense of humor. Maybe you're just very attractive. Maybe it's a characteristic that you are born with and and what comes naturally to you. Or maybe it's a skill that you've worked very hard to learn. All of those things are possible. Or maybe you're somebody whose background means that you have a lot of money or a lot of connections and people are drawn to you because you are able to leverage those connections into a position of power. But for whatever reason, uh, this is a person who is in some way influential and they start attracting followers. Once the person understands specifically what it is that people like about them, And then starts specifically leaning into that as like a persona. In my view, that's really where the cultivation starts. Because you can naturally be like a likable and charismatic person. um, Just naturally not really think about it. Yeah. Just like us. None of this is on purpose. We're just, we were just born this way. Right. uh, Like Lady Gaga. (laughs) Where is our cult of personality? (laughs) The, The difference between just being good PR and being like a legitimate personality cult comes from whether or I think often it comes from whether or not the focus is on you or if it's on the thing that you're producing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like um say you're a band and you make a song that a lot of people like. By the way, check out uh, Red Hoof's uh, EP that's out right now. They have a lot of great songs that a lot of people will like if you like metal. It, but but say you play that song and it gets a, a good response at your live shows. Logically, if you're that band, you would say, yeah, that song was really good. Let's make another song that's kind of similar to that one so that people who like that first one will also like the second one and they'll buy that one too or they'll stream that one too or they'll get tickets to, their, to the show. They'll tell their friends, I can eat, I can pay rent. That's different from thinking people like this song that we made. That means that I'm a genius for coming up with the song that people like. I'm going to make more songs just like it so that people can continue to think that I'm a genius. You see, you see where there's a definite difference there and sounds like someone we're talking about next week. (laughs) Yeah. Where this crosses over into personality cult territory is the same place that it would like cross over into cult territory. So like just with the bite model. So you say, say a controversy comes out about you. You've done something bad. You tell all your fans, don't believe the thing that you've heard about me. It's not true. Avoid TMZ, avoid page six. They're lying. That could be information control. Although you probably should avoid TMZ and page six because that very poor journalistic ethics, but that could be information control. If you're telling your fans, in your music that they need to have a certain mentality throughout their life, that could be thought control. If you're making music to intentionally, emotionally manipulate people rather than to express an emotion that you're actually feeling or to express a sentiment that you think is like an honest sentiment that somebody else might be feeling and you wanted to make a song to, you know, for that person, then that could be emotion control. 
Oh, so like the people we're talking about two weeks from now. Cool. Yeah. So like I, I was thinking of an example of this. Uh, you know, of course, you are familiar with R. Kelly. Vaguely, but yeah. The 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 Pied Piper of R and B, may he rot in prison, um, forever. Yeah, for being an pedophile and sex trafficker, a bad guy. He sucks. Like he, I, I remember back in like I think eighteen or nineteen, twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, before he went to jail. But during about the time when people were really talking about him, um, a lot for for the things that he was doing for the for the 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 sex abuse that he was doing. He came up with a song called I admit it. Mm. So, and this is like a, a, like a 20 minute song where he said, basically he, he said, I admit that I did everything. I like, I admit that I was illiterate. I admit that like X, Y, Z thing. I admit to this. I admit to that. I admit to like, but never actually never admitting to the things that he was accused of, but admitting to all of like the things that he talks about to deflect from him being accused of those things. Yeah. I looked at the lyrics and the first line is, I admit I done made some mistakes and I have some imperfect ways. I admit I helped so many people and them same damn people turned fake. Yeah. Mm, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. No, he extremely like that's mm-hmm. that's a perfect example of like personality cult manipulation that kind of thing. So that's what I'm talking about here. Not like, oh, I wrote a song um from the perspective of somebody who is going through something that I've never gone through because that's just something that you have to do if you're like a musician or if you're a writer or something. You you write perspectives from people who have different experiences from you and that's just kind of part of being it. That's not the same thing as what he was doing. So, so question, if there are things that a person can do that intentionally or unintentionally cultivate a cult of personality, is there anything a person can do to prevent it? Like, couldn't our listeners just, we joked about it, but couldn't our listeners just start to make a cult of personality around me or you? And if that happened, would it be our fault? And what would our ethical responsibilities be in that situation? That's a good question. Because now I'm now I'm scared. <laughs> no, like that, that's it's a very reasonable question to ask in the position that we're in right now. Like, please, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I'd like to to use some examples of uh, for this of people who I think do this well because some people are so famous and so popular that developing a personality cult is inevitable. So say you are somebody like Beyonce Knowles. Or Taylor Swift, two incredibly talented musicians, famous, beautiful, popular, charismatic. They have legions of adoring fans. Now, compare that to somebody who, uh, as I as we've alluded to, we're going to be talking about in great detail next week. Compare them to Kanye West. And right now, let's put aside all of the deeply racist, anti-Semitic, problematic stuff that Kanye has been saying and doing lately. Just look at the type of stuff that these people will say on their social media. So say you look at Taylor Swift's Twitter feed. You pull up Taylor Swift's Twitter feed right now. All you're seeing is her promoting her new album, posting pictures from the production, posting pictures from like the photo shoot that they're taking to like promote the album. Um, posting pictures with a producer who worked on it with her. If you look at Beyonce's Twitter feed, Beyonce literally only posts on social media to promote her music or to retweet Michelle Obama or to post pictures from a photo shoot or like a fashion, like 
endorsement or, or fashion thing that she's doing. Compare that to Kanye. All his posts are like, look how smart I am. Look how visionary I am. Look how much of a genius I am for making this thing that I made. Think about this brilliant thought and idea that I had. Look how great my influence is on the world. Look how great the things that I am doing are, or like even just like the content of the music that they're making. Granted, hip hop is a much more self-aggrandizing genre of music than country or pop like, like Taylor Swift would make. But you would never see Kanye make an anti-bullying song. Yeah, like it is on one hand, it is part of the genre of hip hop to have like this attitude of I'm the greatest, like I'm the greatest rapper that there is. And yeah, like that is that is part of the genre. And that's not what I think we're criticizing. No, no, because if you're if you're mad about that, then you just don't like then Then you just shouldn't listen to hip hop music. I I'm think, sorry. Like, like, I think just... it's pretty clear that what Kanye is doing goes well beyond that, like saying that in a song, because saying that in a song is part of the genre and it's normal. Yeah. And, and Beyonce, I, I mean, like compare that, compare him to somebody who is in the same sort of uh, I guess Beyonce does more R&B, but she also does a lot of hip hop, too. So it's clear when Kanye says I am a genius and I'm the best ever in his songs, which he does pretty frequently. It's because he wants you to think that he is the a genius and the smartest musician and best musician ever. And then also buy his ugly ass shoes or whatever. B- compare that to Beyonce. If she does a self aggrandizing type thing, very often there's also an undercurrent of empowerment to it. So she'll say something like, I'm amazing. Um, but then the undercurrent will also be like, I'm amazing, but so are all black women. Celebrate yourself. It's not, I'm amazing and you'll be amazing if you follow me. It's, I'm amazing because I'm like you. Yeah. So what you're pointing out is that the problem is deeper than Kanye is being blatantly anti-Semitic and harmful and Beyonce and Taylor Swift are not. What I think what you're saying is the issue is what the content is and how he is attempting to engage with his followers. And there's a level of narcissism to it, to like so Kanye, Taylor, and B. They they all have I. They're all at like the same level of famous, right? You'd say they're 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 all they're they're like a list of the a list. Mm -hmm. Taylor and Beyonce rarely broadcast anything that they're doing in their private life out publicly on social media they've mostly withdrawn from private life unless they're like say they're attending an event or they're doing PR on a project that they're working on, or maybe like, I don't know, they're on vacation somewhere and they want to post like a vacation selfie, like normal like that. Mm -hmm. Kanye will go on literally any podcast, like anybody who has a microphone, Kanye is like, I'm going to take your microphone and talk about this thing. You know, like, Let's talk, talk about, about how, my marriage problems and how much I hate Pete Davidson and how the Jews are the reason why Kim left me like that right. <laughs> <just laughs> bonkers <laughs> like that. Like, um, <coughs> like he's trying to spend as much time interacting with as many people as possible, but not in like, uh, Oh, let me listen to what you have to say in like, Oh, let me talk at you kind of way. I do want to counterpoint that lots of influencers do post things from their private life. Like, you and I are content creators. We're not influencers <laughs> by any means yet. But we but we post things from our private life. It's pretty rare. But, like, I share 
things that I baked a good deal on social media. Sure. But are you trying to get people to tell you that you're the greatest baker in the world and bragging about how you didn't even use a recipe? No, I don't need people to tell me I'm the greatest baker in the world. I am happy with my skills. There you go. That's all I really need. The, the real, like a lot of these, like kind of D-list influencers who you know we see on social media. A lot of them, what they're doing with what they are doing is they're trying to build a personality cult around themselves, but they don't have that X factor that makes it really viable. Yeah, I can really see that in the TikTok account, formerly known as Allison Fern which I think her TikTok handle is now Alice Lonnie, I think. Anyway, Alice um, is a, a vegan TikToker and wannabe influencer. She has a lot of followers, but brands don't typically work with her because of her extreme anti-vax and anti-medicine views. And I do, I can definitely see, oh, she might be trying to build a personality cult. And she she shares almost every moment of her life on social media. I saw a post from a deconstruction influencer about ethics in content creation. And it must have been in a story because I know it was from Unconventional Pastor Paul, um, but I can't find it on his page. So it must have been in a story that he shared it. But the takeaway I got from this post was, if you're a content creator... It's always possible that people are going to form a parasocial relationship with you, so they may feel very involved in your life, invested in you and your story, and especially if your content becomes popular, you are by default in a position of power. Because if you're speaking to one of your followers, you have thousands of Instagram followers and they have a few hundred, you have a platform that they don't. And that gives you a slight upper hand. It is a slight, or in some cases, a major power imbalance. And as the person with more power, more voice on social media, more reach, it's your responsibility to set healthy boundaries in that relationship. So in that post, it was a whole list of things to do and things not to do. And I really wish I had gotten a screenshot. But the two big things that I remembered and latched onto were, number one, it's my responsibility to set boundaries with people who listen to my podcast and follow my social media. It's my responsibility to recognize that because of my platform, even though it's much smaller than these like mega influencers and mega famous people that we're talking about, it's my responsibility to recognize that I have some amount of power in that relationship. And it's my, my job to be intentional about what I share on the podcast and on social media about my life and how I treat the people who listen to this podcast and follow my social media. Number two, it is never appropriate for me to emotionally dump or emotionally depend on people who follow me as a content creator and as a podcaster. So it's totally appropriate. Yeah, I was I was thinking through. I saw this post and, and clearly it really affected me because I really find it hilarious to joke about becoming a cult leader. And I'm not going to give that joke up because I think it's really no. funny. It's a great joke. But I do not actually want to be a cult leader. And I'm I'm honestly if I can not to emotionally dump on you, but I'm honestly terrified of accidentally wielding the kind of power that cult leaders in my life wielded over me. I appreciate the voice that I have on this podcast. I appreciate that there are people who listen to my story. I love getting to share about my story and connect with people and give people validation for what they experienced. 
I love that I'm able to make a positive impact in the lives of listeners, whether that's just a laugh or a deep connection to something that they also experienced that I did too. But I am really scared of accidentally becoming a cult leader. So I, I was, I really wanted to latch on to what this social media post said. So as I was thinking about this, I was, I was, working it through in my brain. And the lines I was thinking along are, well, it's appropriate for me to tell the pot you, the podcast listeners, about my childhood trauma that's related to growing up fundamentalist. That is the topic of our show. And we give trigger warnings where they're needed so that people can always consent to opt in or opt out of that. But it's clear from the get-go that this is something I'm choosing to talk about on this show. But it would never be appropriate for me to use my platform either on the podcast or on social media for venting if I had a disagreement with my husband or with a friend. I've had many listeners message me since my dad died to say, hey, like I have experienced the loss of a parent. I'm here if you want to talk. And that's totally fine. Many of those conversations have been really nice, truly helpful. But it would never be okay for me to just cold message a listener (laughs) and emotionally dump all of my tough feelings about coping with his death and like expect them to be an emotional support with for me (laughs) like long term or one of the people who did so kindly reach out to send their support it would never it, it is okay for me to have that conversation with them it would never be okay for me to try to manipulate one of those people into being a long-term emotional support for me and giving me a lot of time or giving me money like that would not be okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really it. I mean, like you, I like, because a lot of the personality cult does depend on a parasocial relationship between the leader and the followers. And like, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this parasocial relationship as part of doing this. Like I, yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, I've gotten birthday cards from people who listen to this show. Yeah. I was, I was, although sometimes it does cross over into a, a weird area for me because like in the Facebook group, sometimes uh, like a few days ago, Morgan, who's like actually your friend who you actually know in real life, like is yes. posting about trying to find me a wife, which is like a funny joke. And then people start like, yeah yeah having like serious comments on that i'm just like uh ha 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 this is funny guys like this is i i find this 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 is funny this is all a joke uh i'll i'll laugh about it but you know like i'm not but like that's one of the things that was that i i think that one of the things that you and i from the beginning we've really set out to try to do is is to try to actually not just have like a paris but also try to have a social relationship with our with listeners so that something that could be potentially unhealthy could turn into an actual like correspondence. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in which we're having two way interactions with people who like our content so that we can say, well, we're on the same level as you. We're not above you. Yeah. Like if you're a person who regularly engages in our Facebook group, it, it feels very collaborative. It's a place where listeners can talk to us semi-directly in a semi-public forum. I really, I really like that. So what I want to know is, do people who are likely to have people form parasocial relationships with them have a responsibility to try to prevent it from becoming a cult of personality? Is it wrong for them to either not withdraw and have a lot of boundaries and be really private 
or is it wrong for them to try to, is it wrong if they fail to try to level that playing field and be very conscious of the ethics of the situation? You know, I don't know. And I think it's different for every person, um, especially because the consequences that that can have on your life are different for every person. Like if if you feel like it's getting out of hand or if it's getting unhealthy, it's totally reasonable to like take a break of, of social media or something. But say you kind of just like withdraw from the public eye for a bit. A lot of that personality cult is kind of is and, and the enthusiasm is kind of going to die down. And so then when you do come out with something new again, it's just kind of like people who remember you from last time are just like, oh, well, that's cool. I'm into this, but I don't need to like. It's like a reset button. Yeah, it, that, that can be a bit of a reset button. And sometimes like especially with musical artists or, or performers or something or 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 just art or like celebrities or something actors as well they won't be the ones making these decisions they'll have people around them that are that are see the maintenance of a cult-like fandom as maybe a bit of a cash cow yeah that feels unethical i think there are also obvious responsibilities like not to incite violence or be hateful or racist but some people a lot of people really seem to be ignoring that part yeah. Which is frustrating. Um, also, I think if you're the sort of person that wants this kind of following, you're also probably not likely to be the person who is thinking about the ethics of doing this in that same way. Yeah, this has been an interesting... Do you, you kind of get where we've gone with this and, and why this is uh, a thing that we got to talk about now? Yes. And I feel like I understand it at least 50%, which is 50% more than when you pitched the episode to me. So that's good. So this isn't a call out of everybody who has a huge following or like everybody who has a lot of people that have parasocial relationships to them. I'm thinking like of like K-pop stands. Yeah. K-pop is really influential in a lot of people's lives. I know adult people who are super into their K-pop group. They will make major decisions based on their music or their lyrics or the inspiration that they get from their favorite groups or their favorite singers. But when I look at these people that I actually know who are reasonable adults who are super into K-pop, <laughs> these decisions tend to be really positive. Like what you are hearing them say is, BTS gave me the confidence to quit my job and look for a better job that fit my life better. Or this music, this song taught me that I was worth more than an abusive partner. So I left that relationship. Yeah, and, and I think K-pop stands often fall into the same category as like Swifties or the Beehive, where it's I, I think it's more of a warning against I, I, I'm thinking of this as more of like a warning against that the level of irreverence that crosses into idolatry. So my one of my last questions is what is the responsibility of a content consumer in this relationship? What should a person do if they find themselves swept up in a cult of personality or if they feel like they're in danger of being swept up into one? So chances are, if your entire personality is that you're a fan of something, uh, that's probably already causing problems in your life. If people don't want to hang out with you because the only thing that you want to talk about is how much you love J-Hope, then that's probably going to cause some problems in your life. That's probably going to to put up some obstacles, put up some barriers personally, professionally, what have you it, in the same sort of way it is that if you were IFB, I wouldn't want to hang out with you. If you kept bringing up church and trying to get me to go to church and get saved and go to church with you. 
Right. I don't see that going over well with you. No. So like, say you're a K-pop fan and you're going on TikTok and you see somebody that says Blackpink is better than BTS. And now you're, you see this and you're just like, absolutely not. I have to like hurl horrible insults and abuses at this person in the comment section on uh, TikTok and Twitter. And like, obviously that's going to be a problem. Just like how if you were IFB and you got hostile or confrontational with a worldly person um, and you started telling them that they were going to go to hell. So if you were in that situation, you could possibly self-unbrainwash yourself by stepping away from that content or finding other things in your life that can be part of the content that you consume. Yeah, maybe. Uh, or you could get uh, professional help. Yeah, maybe listen to some music that isn't uh, uh, BTS. Maybe just like take a little break from it. You know, BTS, they have some good songs though, man. You, you ever listen to K pop? A little bit, yeah. I, I have not gotten Hot super tracks, deep man. into it, but what I've heard, I have enjoyed. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's good pop music, man. It's, it's like the, the amazing, question it. of whether K pop managers are a cult is going to have to wait for another day, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's definitely some abusive practices going on over yeah. there. That's not a... a, a, a I think maybe yeah. the benefit, like, I think maybe it's better to realize that you're in a cult of personality than realize that you're in a cult because the physical barriers to leaving are lower, although the psychological barriers may be more similar to being in a cult. That's totally accurate. So it's about time for us to wrap up. And what I thought might be a good ending to this episode is let's go through the four major types of coercive control and do a verbal kind of chart of what that might look like in a cult versus a cult of personality versus an abusive one-on-one relationship, because I cannot get something without a chart. And I'm sure that we have listeners that are the same way. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. We'll, We'll make an Instagram infographic. And then you can verbally, <laughs> yeah, ver- a verbal infographic, uh, an audiographic. I an, am an the audio. inventor of the audio infographic, in, in, wait, and I am so wonderful, and everyone should follow me. <laughs> okay, let's talk about, huh? I said you're a genius. I am a genius. <laughs> I can't say that without laughing. Gosh. Okay. I mean, you're you're a smart person. I I I, I think that geniuses are very rare. True. Um, I'll, true I'll geniuses take you. are very rare. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. And they're situational. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about behavior control. So in a cult, cult behavior control looks like rigid rules. And there is a consequence for breaking the rules. It's not by any means always a physical punishment or a physical consequence, but the consequence might be threats like God won't bless you or something bad will happen to you. In a non-religious cult, the threats might look like you won't ever succeed in this business. And in religious and non-religious cults, there could be threats of separation or shunning from the group. In like a personality cult, Behavior control could look like, so say the person you're following is popular on social media, maybe you would repeat a phrase that they use in a meme-like way. Maybe you would buy their products or buy their merchandise. Maybe you would if, if pay money to go see them. Maybe they're controlling you in a way that's more 
insidious. Like I've said, I'm doing, I've been doing this deep dive in the manosphere. I've found that there's a lot of these weird manosphere influencers who exert a lot of control over their followers' masturbation habits. Fun thing to learn about. <laughs> Rule of thumb. If anybody ever is trying to control how you touch your own body, that is always a red flag. That is taking away your bodily autonomy, and that is always bad. You should always be the number one person who chooses what happens to your own body. A lot of these uh, types of influencers will also try to dictate their followers' diets. Uh, They will proclaim some foods to be feminine, some foods to be not manly. Have you ever heard the term soy boy? Yeah. So that that that's where that comes from. Definitely uh that that so that's like a, a behavior control thing that could go on within a personality cult. Maybe if they if there's one of these influencers that was telling you eat this thing, don't eat that thing. Um mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about if you're looking at Trumpism and or QAnon as something that exists. You know, I would say that Trumpism is a personality cult and QAnon is more of an actual cult. Um, but behavior control might look like changing all of your liquid cash in the bank to gold and silver, uh, buying large amounts of food to prep for whatever it is that Q is saying is going to happen now, which is never going to happen, cutting off friends or family members who don't agree with what you're being told by these people. Those could be elements of behavior control. Absolutely. Okay. Um, So let's go on to information control. Info control. So in a cult, information control enforces black and white, us versus them thinking. So the group will tell you that only they have the correct information and anything you hear from an outside or unapproved source is suspect or straight up false. The enforcement of only getting information from approved sources is often left up to the member. Uh, Often the cult member is brainwashed to comply with this rule or scared into compliance like they're told that bad things will happen to them if they get outside information and the devil will corrupt their brain or whatever but in some cases members are physically prevented from accessing outside information by things like internet filters not having physical access to books or newspapers um i think this the self enforcement is more common but physical enforcement does happen in a cult of personality I think it's more like the person at the center of it telling you that they are the only source of correct information and other sources are suspect, like don't believe what this magazine says about me, but it's all, there isn't going to be a mechanism for physical enforcement because if you cross that line, you're in a cult. It's not a cult of personality anymore. I think that really in a personality cult, this information control more takes the form of like a self-brainwashing kind of thing. So it's not going to be that this person is saying, don't believe any bad thing that you read about me. Although that could be a, 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 a thing that they say, it's going to be, I love this person so much. I identify with this person so much. And then you read something negative about that person from a publication. So then you're saying, well, this publication said this thing, which I know is wrong. I'm going to stop reading that publication. Or X group of people that my person that I like just <laughs> just threatened on social media must be controlling this publication and therefore it is bad. There you go. Yeah, I mean that's that's like a that's an example right there. A lot of it is um is 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 self brainwashing. And that's also us versus them thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think in a cult 
that is that is more than a cult of personality. There is an there is a mechanism for enforcement. And that mechanism is usually invisible. It's usually bad things will happen to you if you don't comply. And then sometimes there can also be a physical enforcement, like you are actually prevented from noncompliance. And then an abusive relationship is probably more like a regular cult in this regard, because it could certainly it could certainly be that the victim is scared of accessing alternative information sources or sources that are negative about the person that they're in an abusive relationship with or sources that the person that they're in an abusive relationship with is telling them not to access. But there are also instances where they are physically prevented from accessing those information sources or threatened with physical harm if they do. Yeah. And also in a personality cult, a lot of times you're not going to have personal one-on-one interaction with the the person that right. you are, are worshiping. So they're not going to be able to do anything to you. It's going to be something that you're trying to do to yourself. Uh, All right. You want to move on to thought control? Yeah, let's do thought control. In a cult, members are programmed with approved thoughts. They are taught thought-stopping cliches to remove unapproved thoughts. They are told that some thoughts can be sinful or bad, and they are taught specific techniques to avoid those thoughts that are coded as sinful or bad. Then in a cult of personality, it seems like it's more like, if you have my unique outlook on the world, you will have success or happiness. And if you question it, then you are unsuccessful. You're making yourself unhappy. You're missing out. Am I getting that? Yeah. So the common thread is, you should think this way and do not think that way. But the enforcement looks very different. I think the difference in enforcement, that has to be the one of the dividing lines between cult and cult of personality like what consequences are threatened if you don't comply who is threatening those consequences and if there is any actual enforcement in real life who is doing that enforcement is it yourself or is it someone else i think that maybe is what makes a cult and a cult of personality different or one of the big things that does and i think as far as thought control goes in a in, in a personality cult, it often operates in the same way as uh as like an MLM would be. Like they're trying to say you should have this mentality going forward in your life. This is the mentality, or they could even just be saying they they won't even be saying you need to have this mentality. They'll be saying this is the mentality that helped me to get to mm-hmm. where I am now. This is this is what worked for me. And then you're going to say, I'm going to take this as gospel. Even if they're not telling you that you need to take this thing as gospel, they're going to, you're going it's to implied. just- Yeah, it's, imp- it's either implied or it's something that you're just doing to yourself because you want to and, and you really admire this person. That being said, I have absolutely been in MLM meetings multiple times where thought-stopping cliches were taught. Oh, for sure. And then I think it's the same with emotion control. Like in a cult, it's more rigid. Certain emotions are labeled as this is a bad emotion. This is a sinful emotion. This is an emotion that you should prevent yourself from feeling at all costs. And then you are taught techniques on how to control or hide those emotions and or replace them with an approved emotion. And then in a cult of personality, the idea of you shouldn't feel this is still there, but the enforcement looks different. And in this case, an abusive relationship would look more like a cult of personality because 
you can definitely be told in an abusive relationship, you should not think this thought or you should not feel this emotion. But the thought-stopping cliches being taught in a formal way doesn't show up as much. Or the techniques on how to replace an unapproved thought or emotion with an approved thought or emotion are not taught to you the way that they are in a cult. And I think another example of this could be like, say that the person that you are sort of worshiping that you're following is an artist and they start posting publicly about uh, like difficulties that they're going through. And and you start kind of living and dying emotionally by what they're going through and, and, and what they express through their music or what they express through social media. And your emotions are so heavily tied to their emotions. That you're almost following the wave of their life. Yes. And mm-hmm. that can be very unhealthy. And that's sort of something that you've that that you do see from time to time with people who are fans of certain musical artists. Um, And Mm -hmm. and who maybe take their music very seriously. And that can be unhealthy. Yeah, it's the difference between this musician that I like is feeling sad. That's sad. I hope they feel better soon. And this person that I follow for their music is feeling sad. Now I'm also sad. No, that's that's fair. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that's right. Yeah, I see the difference there. This is so I think that kind of finishes it. Uh, this has been a really good overview of personality cults. I'm excited for what it's preparing us for because the next few weeks we've got some great episodes coming out uh, with related topics. Next week, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about the personality cult that surrounds Kanye West slash his is it a cult? Is it not a cult? now defunct Donda Academy. Uh, the, we'll the, find the, out next week. The private Christian school that he is uh, running, but not anymore because it's now defunct. Temporarily? Question mark? Question. Yeah, there are a lot of question marks there. Anyway, the, the week after that, we're going to be talking about a big one. We're going to be talking about Hillsong. That's going to be a lot of fun too. Yeah, we both felt like this was an important thread to follow before we start talking about Kanye. Because what is going on, because the the thing that I'm an expert on when we're talking about Kanye is the Christian school that he attempted to found and is now defunct and maybe coming back eventually. I'm an expert on religious schooling, but I feel like it's important to talk about him. There are multiple reasons to talk about him, especially as related to a cult of personality as well. And the whole Kanye situation is such a messy intersection of mental health crisis, anti-Black racism, anti-Semitism, cults of personality, Christian schooling, and a bunch of other issues that we thought if we could at least follow one of those threads, just untangle one of those things before we started talking about him, that it would help streamline next week's episode and then the week after that, which is also a related topic. And this also kind of opens up a lot of other topics that we can talk about. So if we see that there's a a specific cult of personality, then we can definitely address that. And it's also going to make it easier for me to talk about the the whole manosphere thing, because I'm not going to have to explain Jordan Peterson has a cult of personality around him. Andrew Tate has a cult of personality around him. You know, I'm not going to have to say those things. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, this this episode is going to be foundational for a lot of stuff that we are extremely excited about getting into in the next few months. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. So 
Uh, make sure that you tune in on Thursday. Episode three re-release coming out. Thank you, Rachel Zilka, for making that awesome artwork. But episode three is where we talk about Hiles Anderson College for the first time. Um, re-releasing that episode, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for it. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. I know we just had this whole episode where we're talking about personality cults and influencers. And now I'm just like saying, follow all our social media. Don't forget to like and subscribe and ring that bell. No, uh, you can join our Patreon. Give us money. We You listen oh to our God, content Bobby. about cults. Give us money. <laughs> What am I? Yeah, you can join our Patreon if you want. There's an extended version of today's episode that. Oh, up uh, there. if you're local to Portland, don't forget about the Red Hoof show on December 10th. Uh, I think they usually, I think Lagrowski usually starts their shows at like 7 p.m., but I will have it up on, again, my social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, God, I feel I, so dirty. I, but... I know. I know. Now I'm questioning everything. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I will be hanging out at that show. I would love to see some of you there. It's their probably their last show for 2022, and we'd like to make it a big show. Oh, if you're promoting things that you're doing, I'll promote something that I'm doing. I have a new podcast coming out with my friend Milana. First episode is going to come out on December 6th. Oh my God, is it that soon? Congrat, yeah, congratulations. So if you're a fan of Formula One racing, I have a podcast coming out. That's going to be all about Formula One racing, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I've been wanting to do something like this for a long time. Um, it's called House of Speed. So look us up. We're the House of Speed podcast. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, go and check that out. And um, yeah, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Although I might delete my Twitter. I don't know if it gets any worse. I'm going to delete it. And we'll see you guys next time when we talk about uh, Mr. West. Wake up, Mr. West. Wake up, Mr. West. Uh, Kanye West. That'll be fun. Yeah. You can follow me on social media only if you really want to. <laughs> uh, at, uh, God, at Sadie Carpenter Music on Instagram, at Hell yes Sadie on Twitter, and at Sadie Carpenter One on TikTok. All right. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.